0: Biden's Supreme Court justice nominee loves infanticide, not kidding, as a blessing of liberty. The Washington Post celebrates a religious movement for defending abortion, and California Democrats push for a bill of rights for cats and dogs while simultaneously turning the Golden State into a sanctuary state for killing babies. This liberal establishment literally believes that infanticide is compassionate health care, but not walking your dog is cruelty. Be careful becoming a Democrat, because one day you may just wake up and find yourself worshiping animals and killing infants. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted <laughs> Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, what an intro that is, huh? Sometimes you almost have to just laugh at the culture of death. <laughs> there, when evil overplays its hand to such ludicrous degrees, obviously we need to gird up our loins and we need to contend for the right to life of the pre-born, for our children, for the country, for our posterity, for our neighbors. But sometimes what is happening in the world is so evil and so beyond the pale that it, it is almost a fo- it is almost a coping mechanism and it almost is a form of like self therapy to laugh at the wicked and I, I mean we see this in scripture right God does mock the wicked right the prophets would mock the wicked I, I think there's certainly a a, a place for that um, as long as we gird up our loins again and begin to contend for truth um, but you, you know I, these headlines write themselves now right like I, like if you pitch that intro to today's uh, episode podcast to <clears throat> SNL a few years ago. Even within my own lifetime, right? They would have been like, yeah, that's a little on the nose. Um, come on. Uh, we can't literally run with that headline. And yet now these are the things that, that really are happening. Uh, before we dive into it, if you have enjoyed this show, if this is a beneficial podcast for you and you appreciate what we do to equip the faithful, to equip the pro-life movement in the church to be a voice for the unborn, to stand in the gap. For the pre-born, uh, give the show a rating and review. We really appreciate it. Give us five stars and and share the podcast with a friend. Um, and I, I think that uh, this we cover a lot of things on this podcast and insights and commentary you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, when it comes to these these topics of ultimate concern, life itself. So share that. We really appreciate it. Um, so uh, Joe Biden has announced his new Supreme Court justice nominee. Uh, we didn't actually, I think. Covered this in the show at the time, but a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> um, th- three or four weeks ago, I guess now, Stephen Breyer of the Supreme Court announced that he would be retiring. Of course, he's only retiring because it's a Democrat uh, administration. If if Trump had uh, was still president, let's just put it that way. Uh, then there's no way Stephen Breyer would be stepping down for retirement, right? And he has long been a, a sort of just a liberal establishment cog in the Leviathan machine. He's incredibly pro-abortion. He's never sided with the conservatives on any pro-life case, even tangentially related to abortion. And so, of course, he's only stepping down now because it enables <coughs> the Democrats to get someone with his same jurisprudence, <coughs> which we would say his botched moral vision, <laughs> right, for the country. And so Biden has nominated a black woman because he promised to, right? Incredibly racist, actually, if you think about it, um, because now this woman, her name is Katanji Brown Jackson, she is forever going to be thinking, I wonder if I got nominated to the Supreme Court because of my accomplishments, credentials, and mind, as opposed to because uh, old white Joe Biden, who, who used to take racist attacks against Republicans like Mitt Romney by telling Democrats that Mitt Romney wanted to put black people back in chains. <laughs> She'll forever be wondering if if she was actually selected um, because of what she can provide with her um, experience, her credentials, and her mind. No, no, it's just her skin color. See, she's just a useful black girl to the white Democrat president, right? And so incredibly dehumanizing and racist, but that's what social justice does to you, right? That's what progressivism does to you. Um, and that's what um, elevating um, victim classes does um, over um, at, you know, actual philosophies and ideas, um, what the person believes um, as opposed to just uh, their skin color or their gender. So Biden had said that initially. It's going to be a black woman because of uh, diversity or something like that. Um, but of course, if it was a black woman who was conservative and pro-life, you know, Candace Owens ain't getting nominated to the Supreme Court, let's just put it that way. It's just because they're ideologically useful and they check these intersectional boxes um, that enable the Democrats to, to pander to, to, to the left wing of their party. So Ketanji Brown Jackson worked in support of infanticide when she clerked for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. is a very important point. It's the primary reason I'm covering it. We would have brought it up anyways. But specifically on the issue of abortion, this woman is an absolute radical, as was Stephen Breyer. Um, But it just goes to show you how comfortable Democrats are in cozying up to full-blown infanticide in order to protect their high sacrament of abortion. That, That they'll literally be willing to condone infanticide so that moral premises are not put in the law that would lead to the regulation of abortion. What do I mean by that? If you say infanticide is wrong, like it's wrong to kill babies after they're born, or it's wrong to kill them as they're coming out of the birth canal or halfway out of the birth canal, and that would be wrong, then, of course, the, the next natural question becomes, well, would it, would it have been wrong to kill that same baby, like, right before their head started coming out of the birth canal? right? And seconds before. If it's wrong to kill the baby halfway out of the birth canal or right after they're born, surely it's wrong seconds before they leave the birth canal, right? Like a late trimester, day of birth uh, abortion. Well, if that's wrong, then probably a week before would have been wrong too, right? Do you see what I mean? (laughs) So you, you just start taking it back. And so it gives conservatives the political power to say, well, why not protect the baby here? If you said it was wrong to kill him here in the ninth month, why not eight, eight months and 15 days? Well, then why, why not seven months? You know, that's, I mean, fully viable as well. You see, it gives conservatives that ability to say, to say, well, we should just not have abortions. And so the left can never allow moral premises to be put in the law when, if planted, will eventually lead to the slow um, reeling back of our radical abortion laws. So when I say that Katanji Brown Jackson is for infanticide, and as is Stephen Breyer, here's what I mean by that. Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court wrote the dissenting opinion, or, or rather the, I guess, the uh, approval position of striking down a Nebraska law that was going to ban partial birth abortions. This was a Supreme Court case called Stenberg v. Carhartt. Carhartt uh, was an abortionist. Stenberg v. Carhart. Okay, this was a Nebraska law. So it was a state level law saying we're going to ban partial birth abortions. It got taken up to the Supreme Court and Stephen Breyer writes the opinion to strike it down, meaning no Nebraska, you cannot pass a ban on partial birth abortions. And who was clerking for Stephen Breyer when he authored that Supreme Court decision? Well, Ketanji Brown Jackson. Biden's new Supreme Court nominee. So, so if she had anything resembling a semi-functioning moral conscience or compass, she would have excused herself from working for Stephen Breyer for his full-blown support of infanticide. Okay. Now, if you're new to the show and you haven't heard partial birth abortions before, let's talk about this very briefly. Okay. If you are familiar with it, but you haven't heard a detailed description of it, this is also important. This is very important because partial birth abortions expose the bigotry of being pro-choice. It exposes the true agenda of the Democrat Party, which is abortion through point of birth. And you could argue after birth, actually. Never forget the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act by Ben Sass, sponsored by him, and vetoed by the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi dozens of times. The, part, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act just said if a baby survives a botched abortion... The abortion has failed and the baby was born alive during an abortion procedure. Okay? The baby had to be given the same level of medical attention and care as any other baby born under normal circumstances. The baby had to immediately be transferred to a hospital to be taken care of because guess what? Abortion centers are not good at preserving life. They're good at ending life and they're not equipped to take care of infants who survive their forceps. And thirdly, if the abortion staff don't report the fact, that a baby was born alive during a botched abortions, they'll be held legally responsible as well. And if the abortionist murders the baby after he was born alive during a botched abortion procedure, the abortionist will be charged with murder. Okay, so this bill did nothing to regulate abortion. It was about what happens to babies who are born alive during botched abortions because there's actually no federal law that requires the care for babies who survive botched abortions. And we have examples of abortionists who have killed babies who have survived abortions. Okay, so you could make a case that the Democrat Party is for infanticide literally after the baby's born and they're willing to condone all these things. Why? Let's get into that. But firstly, just, just so we understand how evil these people are, right? Because we get so used to talking about abortion, right? It's a killing of a baby. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. The Democrats are for abortion. It's so horrible. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. We get so used to, to talking about this evil that sometimes we we forget the details. This happens to me all the time because as a pro-life speaker, I can't live in this space all the time in my head. I try not to, at least. It's very exhausting to think about murdered babies and dismembered limbs all day is your job and all the ideas that are used to justify it and the ideas that we can use to defend life like, just being honest with you, it's a, it's a taxing job to think and talk about this issue all the time. Well, imagine actually looking at the results of this, actually seeing what happens to these children, right? You may get emotionally and spiritually exhausted by the abortion issue, right? Hopefully you get inspired and fired up when you listen to the show, but now imagine literally being involved with murdering babies through partial birth abortions. Okay, so, so Nurse Brenda Pratt Schaefer, who's, who's, Who's Brenda Schaefer? Okay. Well, she once worked for abortionist Martin Haskell. Haskell. Okay. Martin Haskell is considered to be the creator of the partial birth abortion procedure. (laughs) This demon invented a way to kill babies who were partially born, hence the term partial birth abortion. Okay. So she witnessed many abortion procedures, including the partial birth abortion procedure performed by Martin Haskell in the 80s and 90s, and it understandably left her traumatized. So she testified before a congressional subcommittee in 1995. So I was four years old, okay? And I want to read to you what she told Congress in 1995 after quitting her job working for Martin Haskell, okay? This is what Ketanji Brown Jackson is for. This is what Stephen Breyer is for, who she is replacing and who she clerked for when he upheld the right to kill babies in this way. What way? Here's Nurse Brenda Pratt Schaefer. Dr. Haskell brought the ultrasound in and hooked it up so he could see the baby. Then, 26 and a half weeks into pregnancy. On the ultrasound screen, I could see the heart beating. I asked Dr. Haskell, and he told me, yes, that is the heartbeat. As Dr. Haskell watched the baby on the ultrasound screen, he went in with forceps, and he grabbed the baby's legs and brought them into the birth canal. Then he delivered the body and arms all the way up to the neck. At this point, only the baby's head was still inside. The baby's body was moving. His little fingers were clasping together. He was kicking his feet. All the while, his little head was still stuck inside. Then Dr. Haskell took a pair of scissors, they're called Metzenbaum scissors, and inserted them into the back of the baby's head. Then he stuck a high-powered suction tube into the hole that he had created with the scissors and sucked the baby's brains out. I almost threw up as I watched him do these things. Next, Dr. Haskell delivered the baby's head, (sighs) cut the umbilical cord, and delivered the placenta. He threw the baby in a pan along with the placenta and the instruments he'd used. I saw the baby move in the pan. I asked another nurse, and she said it was just reflexes. The woman wanted to see her baby, so they cleaned up the baby and put it in a blanket and handed it to her. She cried the whole time and she kept saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was crying too. I couldn't take it. The baby boy had been the most perfect, angelic face I had ever seen. In all my professional years, I'd never experienced anything like this. I don't think about abortion the same way anymore. I still have nightmares about what I saw. End quote. Yeah, no, no, duh. No, duh, you do. You you were you were literally watching demons at work. This is a partial birth abortion. It's Very hard for me to even read and get through. I assume this was very difficult for you to listen to as well. Unreal. Now, obviously, we have a more visceral reaction, don't we, as humans to late term abortions? That's why I think it was a Gallup poll in 2019. We don't have the the screenshot for you, but but we've showed it on the show before. Gallup poll in 2019 found that only 13% of the American public supported keeping abortions legal in the third trimester. Not 13% of Republicans or Democrats, 13% of the freaking country believe that third trimester abortion should be legal or late-term abortions. Well, this is a description of a late-term abortion. We have a more visceral reaction to it because we can identify more with the child, right? Because they look more like us, but that doesn't mean that, that younger children are any less human. Younger babies who might not look as much like us look exactly how a human is supposed to look at that stage of development. So every abortion is just as wrong because the child is not becoming more human. They are fully human from conception, and they gradually unfold their abilities that they already have as their underlying nature as a human being. Does that make sense? But it does make sense from a visceral standpoint. We have a more disgusting reaction to this type of abortion procedure, but— they're all just as wrong. But this is a partial birth abortion, right? This is what Stephen Breyer um, told Nebraska. They didn't have the right to ban in their state. And and this is what Ketanji Brown Jackson is fully for. I, I certainly hope Ted Cruz or, or someone is able to get this and, and read this portion uh, to her before she's uh, confirmed. Because I unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to have the political capital to stop her her from getting through onto the court. So how did we get partial birth abortion? Here's a brief history. Um, The first partial birth abortion ban act was in 1995. Bill Clinton vetoed it. No shocker there. Uh, How did it break down? 54 yeses and 54 noes. Republicans who voted no, eight. Only eight Republicans voted to not have a partial birth abortion ban act. Democrats who voted no, 46. 46. Um, so they, 46 Democrats didn't want a Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. 45 Republicans voted yes, and nine Democrats voted yes. So Bill Clinton vetoes it in 95, okay? Then in 2003, uh, Bush signs the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act in 2003. Um, 64 yes, 34 no, two not voting. Republicans who voted no, three. Democrats who voted no, 31. No surprise there. This is the party of abortion and infanticide. So Bush signs the partial birth abortion ban Act in 2003. and then um, was it 2005 there was the uh, Gonzalez versus Carhart. We just talked about the Stenberg versus Carhart Gonzalez versus Carhart, which was to to ask the question, should we uphold the partial birth abortion ban Act? And we did decide to uphold it, but people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg tried to overturn Bush's uh, partial birth abortion ban act. Okay, so the part that's the history of the partial birth abortion. Um, uh, sort of history, but this exposes the, this really debauched moral vision of the Democratic par- Party. I think this gets at the strategy of the pro-abortion left in how they maintain their ideology. This is what they do. They simply filter out of sight any recognition of a separate human being bearing the injuries of, of, of quote-unquote choice. They, they have to simply pretend that there is no child, there is no child. There's no human being whose existence matters in the womb. Because if they acknowledge the reality of this late trimester baby who's having bomb scissors shoved into the back of their skull before having a catheter suction vacuum tube suction out their brains, if they acknowledge the experience of that child, there's no moral or political route for them to continue in their support of this heinous act. They simply have to stick their head fully in the sand or to, like— the Dumb and Dumber <laughs> scene, la 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 la, stick their fingers in their ears, sing really loud, and pretend to not see or hear the the horrors and screams of the child subjected to this quote unquote reproductive healthcare procedure. And they've been doing this for years. This is exactly the strategy adopted by Bill Clinton when he vetoed the partial birth abortion ban in '96. What do I mean by this? If you allow the partial birth abortion ban to pass and become law, you would have to acknowledge the humanity of the child and the injuries it sustained during an abortion. Because if the child halfway out of the birth canal, you just saw the pictures, you just heard my description, right? The child is literally halfway out of the birth canal before they're killed. If the child halfway out of the birth canal is a person with value, whose murder is atrocious and indefensible, and that child has some rights, then how is the same child, minutes, days or weeks before exiting the birth canal, not a person with human rights. What happened in those seconds, minutes, hours or weeks before that baby was killed in a partial birth abortion that moved it from something that had no value whatsoever, the mere property of their mothers, you could call them the property of the Democrat Party, right? They're always trying to label people that they don't like as property. Black people in the 1850s, babies today. What moved that person from a non-person, untermensch, subhuman insensate blob of tissue to a being that we should protect from dismemberment because they're halfway out of the birth canal because they're a person with rights what happened right if bill clinton had allowed the partial birth abortion ban act if pro-choicers acknowledge that killing a baby in that manner at that stage of development is immoral evil or wrong objectively wrong then there's no way they can offer a moral defense for abortions Hours, weeks, or months before. Because the science is so clear. It's the same child. It's the same human. They're not becoming more human. They're not somehow sh- proving more human DNA, right? They're they're unfolding their potential, but it's a human being with great potential. It's not a potential human. This is just the science, right? So that's why they can't allow these types of laws to protect babies at this late-term abortion. They'd be forced to answer these very difficult questions questions. And so this is Bill Clinton's strategy, right? It, it was to simply pretend that there was no child. And if you read the documents, Bill Clinton's defense is basically, well, sometimes a partial birth abortion will be necessary because mom might die. You know, so sometimes it's medically necessary. No abortion is never medically necessary to save mom's life even in a high-risk pregnancy. But his entire focus was what? The mom. He couldn't acknowledge the existence of a baby because then there's no way he can morally and politically justify vetoing the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. And Hadley Arcus, a professor of jurisprudence at Amherst College and the founder and director of the James Wilson Institute for Natural Rights, uh, explains this brilliantly, helps us understand Clinton's strategy of sticking his head fully in the sand and denying the existence of any reality that might compromise the right to abortion. Here's what he said. He said, Bill Clinton could look out on the experience of a partial birth abortion and never apparently see a child whose skull was being crushed and whose head was being collapsed as the contents of the skull were being suctioned out. That child made no impression on Clinton's visual or perceptual screen because the injuries suffered by this small being simply could not be allowed to count. Both the victims and the injuries had to be filtered out by the theory that came along with abortion rights. For that notion of rights could not be sustained while there was a recognition of a separate human being suffering injuries that were lethal. You can't acknowledge the injuries and humanity of that child when you adopt the theory of choice. So be careful becoming a Democrat. You may wake up one day and find that you're an infanticidal maniac demon who um, has no soul left, who can't even be disturbed by the murder of an infant. And yes, a baby halfway out of the birth canal is obviously an infant, particularly in this late stage of development, which the Democrats love to defend abortion as well. So that's what Katanji Brown-Jackson supports, okay? If she had any semblance of a moral compass, she would have excused herself from clerking for Stephen Breyer in... Uh, in 2000, when he struck down Nebraska's ban on partial birth abortions, but she didn't. Additionally, she was involved in a case several years ago um, at the state level to, to try to ban pro-life sidewalk counselors um, from being on public sidewalks, right? They tried to create buffer zones where pro-life Americans could not stand and exercise their right to free speech on, on a publicly um, owned uh, sidewalk to try to give women their last chance to not kill their child. So this woman hates unborn children, and she hates you. Just be clear on that. And the Democrat Party is fully on board with infanticide, as they always have been. And I think it was important for me to take this segment of the show to give you that history on partial birth abortion and what's involved in a partial birth abortion, because they they need to own that. And those questions need to be put to them. That's what they're for. And I think you'll find many Democrats and pro-choicers today who would not be for that type of radical way to kill a baby, and even their conscience might begin to be stirred. But not this woman, not Stephen Breyer, not Joe Biden, not Kamala Harris, and not the abortion industrial complex. Um, So I want to move on to this next article here from the Washington Post, right, where democracy dies in darkness. Um, Their new piece here is called, The Threat to Roe v. Wade is Driving a Religious Movement for Reproductive Choice. Uh, and it's very interesting, right? Of course, they're going to highlight um, pieces and people, okay, who say they're Christians or religious, as long as they go along with the prevailing liberal uh, political wins, right? As long as they partner with the left on virtually everything they care about. For example, you're not going to see a piece from WAPO uh, diving into everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills where Pastor Jack Hibbs and the Love Life Ministry are saving dozens of babies every few months outside of abortion centers and then getting women diapers and and, uh, apartments and cars and jobs and throwing them baby showers and, and loving on them and supporting them, right? They say, oh, pro-lifers are just pro-birth. You don't care about the baby after it's born, right? They're not going to show stories of what's happening with Christians, real Christians, real pastors who who embrace the historic Orthodox Christian tradition that all human life is intrinsically valuable at every stage that they're human, the moment of conception. No, they're only going hi- to highlight quote-unquote alleged Christians, quote-unquote pastors, quote-unquote shepherds who are pro-abortion, Right, And by the way, this piece is in the religion category at WAPO. This is not an op-ed. This is in the religion category. But we all know that they would never um, highlight what's happening at these very pro-life churches. Um, they're only going to highlight uh, heretics, right, and syncretists. And their subline title here is Americans who see a religious case for abortion access try to shift the narrative, Okay. So I'm just going to read you a couple paragraphs from the beginning of this. This is just important to highlight and make this point, okay? Because what we're dealing with here is spiritual principalities and forces. And so when we see alleged Christians who are partnering with demons and murdering babies, we need to just remind ourselves what we're actually facing, okay? And we need to be able to call heresy as such and call demons as such. Those who are being used by Satan, who are not part of the church, okay? But but so that that's why we need to talk about this. Talking about infanticide, killing babies. Who's really behind this, right? And notice how Satan and demons. Work Work their way into uh, into y- using the platforms and voices of people who say that they follow Jesus in order to lead people to hell. So, this WAPO piece says When the Reverend Kaylee Mc- McEvoy, we have a picture over here, uh, began at Westmoreland Congregational in 2018, she faced a question Should she tell her new congregation she'd recently had an abortion? Mc- uh, McEvoy was already a reproductive rights advocate, right? Of course, the- This is the WAPO writing, right? They're not saying an abortion advocate, not saying feticide advocate, right? No, it's a reproductive rights advocate. And to her, the experience wasn't in conflict with with her faith. (laughs) When the pastor and her then boyfriend learned in 2016 that she was pregnant, oh, oh, so she's sleeping around and having sex before she's married. Oh, I could have never have guessed that. I could have never have guessed that because she calls killing and lynching babies and sacrificing them to demons reproductive health care. Um, the first place they went was to a cathedral to pray and to call doctor's offices in search of one to do the abortion. Other visitors to the cathedral happened to try to enter the small chapel where McEvoy was on the phone, but her boyfriend turned them away. She remembers um, saying something holy is happening here. Something holy is happening here. So her boyfriend is turning people away from the from what they call a church because the pastor and her boyfriend are in the church calling demons to ask how much they can pay one of those demons to kill her baby. And so other people can't come into that holy place because what's happening there is holy as they're phoning demons to kill their baby. So that, yeah, here's here here are the pastors <laughs> that the WAPO likes to platform. But in front of her new congregation, she wondered and worried if they would lose respect for her. Westmoreland, like the suburb of, of Bethsaida, It sits in is full of liberal people who politically support abortion access, McEvoy felt, but may not be be ready to call it a social and theological good. Then came laws in Texas and Mississippi to severely limit abortion. Then the Supreme Court's decision to review the constitutionality of Roe versus Wade. And on top of that, pandemic isolation and virtual worship that to McEvoy made preaching about real lived physical experiences feel urgent. Now she is a part of an increasingly bold and more visible visible religious movement for reproductive choice, a hard shove back to the decades-old American narrative that a devout person sees abortion only as murder. From prominent clergy to regular people in the pews, far more nuanced and varied perspectives about abortion are being voiced across the religious spectrum, many for the first time. By the way, anytime you hear the word nuanced, you can probably assume it's a leftist talking to you. You don't hear that word used as much by by conservatives. It's really one of those. It's one of those most used words in the lexicon of leftism. Um, and I heard this all the time at Westmont College as well. These more progressively quote unquote Christian colleges. They love saying things are nuanced or the gray area or complex. They freaking love that. They love getting high off their own intellectual flatulence. It makes them feel really smart that they can explain the nuances of difficult, complex, moral, and spiritual debates. And because it's so nuanced and there's not a clear answer, we need to make room for all different varying opinions on these nuanced debates. I would hear that kind of crap at Westmont all the time. And usually, what kind of topics were that language being applied to? Gay marriage, sodomy, and murdering babies in the womb. (laughs) nuanced. Okay. We need to make room for these perspectives. In November, McEvoy, a 29 year old with a melodic preaching voice, (laughs) took the high white pulpit at Westmoreland and said, okay. And said to her congregation, quote, she had never felt more known and heard and loved by God than when I entered the doors of a Planned Parenthood. Then last month, she addressed a group of Christian abortion access activists meeting in a DC church. And she said, Something holy is happening here, friends. Something holy is happening here. Uh, lady, uh, that wasn't God you were hearing from. Yeah, that, nope, that was not God you were hearing from. That that was a demon you were hearing from, um, and you may be possessed. Um, and if, if you want to return to orthodoxy, uh, you may need an exorcism, right? I mean, this is gnarly. She's saying, I never felt more loved, heard, and known by God than when I entered the doors of a Planned Parenthood. You know, First Timothy 4.1 says that the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. <laughs> ESV, 1 Timothy 4.1. They'll depart the faith to embrace the teachings of demons. And guess what? Satan and demons have always been behind the killing of babies. It, it, it is his pride and joy, the killing of babies. It always has been, right? That's Satan's the dragon in Revelation waiting for Mary to give birth to eat baby Jesus. He's behind the killing of babies by Herod in Bethlehem and by Pharaoh in Egypt. He's a lion that prowls around looking for those to devour. He, he, killing babies is his pride and joy, okay? It is the sacrament of Satan. And so... We just need to remind ourselves what we're talking about here, folks, that we're dealing with demon worship here. It's easy to get caught up in, in the politics, right, and 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 anger towards those who kill the unborn. But just remember, there are demonic forces behind these people. But don't worry, they're going to masquerade it as compassion, right? And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, "Yeah, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. But such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. <laughs> right? It looks really good, right? The wolf looks like a shepherd, right? That's me now. So Paul says, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves As servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds, okay? So whether it's a Supreme Court justice nominee who loves infanticide or allegedly Christian pastors who support abortion through point of birth, we're still dealing with Satan and his fallen angels. And God tells the Israelites in Psalm 106 that their sacrifice of babies to Molech was actually sacrificed to demons. God has been very clear on this point, okay? Psalm 106, he says, Israelites, Israel, you sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons and the land is desecrated with blood. Okay. So when we talk about abortion, we're talking about the sacrifice of babies to demons. There are demonic spirits and forces living inside of this woman. What's her name? Dr. Reverend Kaylee McEvoy and all of the other uh, satanic masquerading as angel of light pastors that this WAPO piece highlights later, which we don't have time to get into. We're dealing with the Lord of Flies, okay, the spirit of the age who has always been obsessed with killing babies. We as Christians just need to remind ourselves of that. I want to finish this show today by talking about a new California bill, um, a bill of rights, actually, for cats and dogs, okay? (laughs) So this is according to the Sacramento Bee on February 17th by Andrew Sheeler. Um, Americans enjoy a bill of rights, and soon California pets could as well, A California lawmaker has introduced a bill that would enshrine a dog and a cat bill of rights into state law, requiring every animal shelter and animal rescue group to post a copy of said rights on their premises. The bill is sponsored by the animal advocacy group called Social Compassion in Legislation, whose founder and president is named Judy Mancuso. Okay, so I did some research on this woman, okay? Um, Judy Mancuso. I was very interested. I I, I had a suspicion that she was a radically pro-abortion leftist. Uh, and guess what? I was right. (laughs) Okay. So excuse me. She lives in, I think Laguna Beach, California. Okay. She's, she's the sponsor of this bill. I checked her out on Instagram, social media. She does everything animal rights related. Okay. She has pictures with Newsom. Okay. She has pictures with Eric Garcetti, the mayor of LA and other crazy pro-abortion people. I couldn't find public statements on abortion. I assume that's because she's trying to be politically strategic, to get the support of people who love animals but also love babies uh, to support what she's doing. But then I find this other piece from the Sacramento Bee in February that reported that Judy Mancuso is running for office. Here's what it said. In the state assembly, I look forward, Mancuso says, to continuing to work alongside the party and its members to fight for thoughtful yet decisive action to combat climate change, improve public health and safety, address homelessness, protect women's rights, save our ocean and wildlife, and stand against racism and hate here in Orange County and across California. <clears throat> so there you go. We all know that when she says women's rights, she doesn't mean like uh, young women's rights to not be taught pornographic Planned Parenthood sex ed in public schools. We know exactly what she means. She means abortion. Uh, she was posting stuff on Instagram about opposing the, the recall of Governor Newsom who wants to put abortion pills on university campus campus health centers, um, despite Jerry Brown vetoing that same legislation and advising Newsom to do the same. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is the woman behind this bill to create a bill of rights for cats and dogs. Unbelievable. Um, the bill is, uh, the, according to uh, the bill, Judy Mancuso said that those rights go beyond just food, water, and shelter. As stated in the bill, dogs and cats have the right to be respected as sentient beings that experience complex feelings that are common among living animals while being unique to each individual. We're thrilled to be codifying this into law. It's called Assembly Bill 1881, introduced by Assemblyman Miguel Santigo, a Democrat from Los Angeles, and it enumerates seven fundamental rights that every dog and cat in California would have. So here are the rights that, these, that dogs and cats in California would have, according to the Bill of Rights, by people who claim that the Constitution is a living document, but unborn children are not and are currently turning California into a sanctuary state for killing babies. Okay, so what, 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 what rights apparently do animals have, according to California Democrats? Freedom from exploitation, cruelty, neglect, and abuse. A life of comfort, free of fear and anxiety. A life of comfort. Dogs are entitled now. They have a natural right to a life of comfort. Did you know that? They're, they have a right to daily mental stimulation and appropriate exercise, okay? So I guess you need to read to your dogs now, you know? Um, maybe read in the Constitution. Uh, fourthly, they have a right to nutritious food, sanitary water, and shelter in an appropriate and safe environment. <clears throat> Very interesting. I wonder what the Democrats think about all the wild animals that live in California, all the wild dogs and cats that don't have a home. Uh, that's incredibly unjust that they don't have nutritious food, sanitary water, shelter, um, they're, they're not being read Socrates by their owners and they don't have a comfy dog bed uh, in the corner of their, of their kooky Democrat owned uh, owner's house. It's, it's very unjust. I, I guess now that, that, that we're going to see some bill that f- uses taxpayer dollars to California to go find and round up all of the street cats and dogs um, and get them in temporary housing, housing facilities. It sounds like a joke, but I actually wouldn't be surprised if they did it. They have a right to preventative and therapeutic health care, Um, they have a right to proper identification through tags, microchips, and other humane means. And last one, they have a right to spaying and neutering to prevent unwanted litters. Funny how they use the word unwanted, right? (laughs) Who's, who's labeling the dogs unwanted? Is it, is it the, is it the, is it the bitch? (laughs) Is it the female dog who's trying to exercise her reproductive health care rights because they're unwanted puppies? Very funny that they used, chose to use the word unwanted there. Um, but probably not coincidentally. So apparently dogs have all of these rights, as do cats, but other animals don't. Turtles don't have these rights. Um, eagles don't have these rights. Um, uh, rats don't have these rights. Um, snakes don't have these rights. Chipmunks don't have these rights. Um, all of uh, Any other pet that you might like to have. Uh, parrots don't have these rights. Just cats and dogs. Um, it, it's very, uh, very bigoted of California Democrats to focus their um, natural rights of animals only on two species, I think Peter Singer called that speciesism, giving more value to certain species over others despite the fact that we're all just animals, right? We're all just different forms of animals. Um, Wow, this bigotry is unacceptable. Uh, But of course, none of this makes sense. It's not supposed to, it never can um, because these people live in la-la land. These people are living in a fantasy reality that is built on the mutilated bodies of aborted children. Santiago, the assemblyman who introduced this bill said, cruelty can also be... Not taking a dog out and walking him, socializing him and spending time with him, that can be cruelty. Now, I guess the bill stopped short of actually prosecuting Californians who didn't provide these alleged rights to dogs and cats. Um, But they think it will be used as a way to discourage abusing the rights of animals and encourage you to respect those rights. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this. Um, Being a Democrat today literally does mean worshiping animals. Um, In 2019, the Washington Post celebrated the personhood of an orangutan who was granted legal personhood by a judge in Argentina in 2015 and moved to Florida in 2019. The judge ruled that Sandra the ape is legally not an animal but a a non-human person and entitled to legal rights enjoyed by people. She said, with that ruling, I wanted to tell society something new, that animals are sentient, remember that word, sentient beings, and that the first right they have is our obligation to protect them. So this has long been a trend in leftism, this obsession with the rights of animals while simultaneously an obsession with, with uh, removing the rights of preborn born children um, and, and, and the rights of you. To, to live your faith in accordance with your best judgment in the public square, right? The people who lynch babies in the womb, who who condone tyranny in the womb, uh, are, are uh, ironically very bad, are very good at condoning tyranny outside the womb as well. No shocker there. And so th- there's been, been many stories of these, right? If you disturb the egg of a bald eagle, you'll be fined uh, a quarter of a million dollars and sentenced up to four years in federal prison, uh, right? Eagles, blades of grass, uh, dirt, uh, dogs and cats all have more rights than unborn children. And of course this, you know, reminds me of the famous GK Chesterton line that wherever there is animal worship, there will be human sacrifice. Wherever there is animal worship, there will be human sacrifice. How is this so? Um, we'll end with this and, and, and hopefully this will kind of help you see this from a bigger philosophical and religious playing field. Um, well, what is the argument for animal rights? The argument for animal rights is that animals are sentient and therefore deserve protection. You heard that language from Judy Mancuso of the Social Compassion and Legislation, right? She said, What? Dogs and cats have the right to be respected as sentient beings that experience complex feelings, right? The judge who granted an orangutan personhood rights said I wanted to send a message that animals are sentient beings, right? So the, the argument for animal rights is that animals can feel. They're sentient, right? Sentience is the ability to feel and perceive, okay? So so therefore, they're a person. But sentience does not work as a good standard for human value and dignity because you're not sentient when you're in a coma, but it would still be wrong to kill you. Do you see what I mean? You can't use that standard as sort of the litmus test, right, or, or the the gauge, of human value and, and, and personhood rights. Additionally, the unborn child is sentient, but the people saying that living things that are sentient should be qualified as persons with rights don't apply that same standard in the womb. Shocker, right, because they're all bigots, right? Because abortion is their sacrament, because they're probably possessed by demons, right? The unborn can definitely feel pain by 13 and a half weeks. They would be sentient. Dr. Marine Kondik an associate professor of neurobiology and anatomy at the University of Utah, has testified before Congress that fetuses feel pain to some degree by eight weeks. By eight weeks gestation, they have what is called the spinal circuitry necessary for pain detection, that that's all established. So if they can respond to pain in some way by eight weeks, and certainly to all pain by 13 and a half weeks, then they would be sentient. And if they're sentient, why aren't kooky animal-worshipping Democrats applying their same sentient standard for personhood to the preborn child in the womb, right? Because it was never about consistency, right? It was never about consistently applying their ideology and their premises. It was about power, right? It was about hierarchy. They're not being cowards or or inconsistent um, by, by not applying their... Premises in every moral debate it's simply hierarchy it's not hypocrisy it's hierarchy they know that they're being hypocritical they know that they don't apply their standards consistently across the board right sentience for orangutans sentience for dogs and cats sentience for pre-born children but they don't get any rights they know they're not being consistent they don't freaking care the same thing with covid right they, they know that they're not being consistent. When Nancy Pelosi doesn't wear a mask when she goes to get her hair done, when Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi put fundraisers uh, for all white Democrats up in Northern California and don't wear masks, but they make the, the Hispanic servers serving them food wear masks, when Eric Garcetti doesn't wear it at, a, at, the, at, the, at the football game, right when, when Newsom is at the French Laundry refusing to wear it inside with California health officials who are drafting the policy in the first place. we can go down and down the list, right? They know that they're being inconsistent. They don't care. It's about hierarchy, power, obtaining political power, wielding it effectively in order to further your progressive agenda to lead us into the utopian perfect uh, Marxist uh, future, right? But no, no, of course not, right? There is no utopia that these progressives are leading us into. It's tyranny, despotism, right? But don't worry, they won't be they won't be experiencing the negative repercussions of their political ideology and worldview. Just us, the little rubes, right? Their little subordinates will. They'll be getting fat, happier, and richer than ever before. That's how tyranny always works, right? The people who promise to lead us into the progressive follow the science utopia know that it will be absolute crap, but they'll be empowered. They'll be fat, sleek, and happy. Um, So you need to understand this, Right. They know that the unborn child is sentient. They know they can feel pain. All these follow the science people, Dr. Fauci, right, all these, they know when the child can begin to feel pain. They just don't care, okay? So sentience just doesn't work philosophically as a gauge of human value and dignity, but they're going to wield it because it sounds good, right? They can get people to jump on board with it. Oh, yeah, we don't want dogs to be harmed if they can feel pain they should have rights but babies do too yeah but who cares who cares i need to be able to kill my baby so that i can i can keep my salary at my nice cush job because this pesky uterus keeps me from achieving the same level of success in the workplace as men okay but so so apparently according to california democrats sentient monkeys dogs and cats deserve personhood but sentient unborn babies don't there you go okay so let's step back then what does it mean to be a person Right? If actual persons in the womb who are sentient don't have rights, but animals do, what does it mean to be a person? Well, there's two views, I guess, on personhood. One view says that it's the immediate capacity for reason, moral agency, consciousness, and self-consciousness. Right, You have to be immediately able to exercise these certain capacities that human beings have in order to be a person. The consequences of this is that infants would be disqualified. Infants can't exercise reason or moral agency. Neither can those in a coma. The other view is our view. It's the historic Orthodox American and Christian view of personhood, which is that it's it's not our immediate ability to exercise these cognitive functions, rational nature, and self-awareness. It's the fact that we have a natural ordering towards reason, towards moral agency, towards consciousness, which all human beings have in virtue of their humanity and which will be realized in time does that make sense because even your your toddler cannot exercise a rational moral nature to the same degree as you infants cannot at all but they still have protections under our laws right because for the broad Uh, for the majority of American history, we've adopted this second view of personhood. What it means to be a person doesn't mean you have to prove certain cognitive abilities in the immediate now. It's that you have all of those abilities as part of your nature as a human being, and they gradually unfold given time. The fact that you can't immediately exercise them doesn't make you less of a person. The fact that you might lose some of those abilities, like if you're in a coma, also doesn't make you less of a person in the here and now. We wouldn't say that a dog is less of a dog because they lost the ability to currently bark, even though the ability to bark is part of the natural ordering of what it means to be a dog, even if they can't immediately exercise it in the here and now. Does that make sense? That's our view of personhood. So this would mean that all human beings are persons, right? But there could be non-human persons like angels. Angels are not um, humans, but they would be persons with a rational nature, right? Um, And... I guess we could include a- if there are aliens, right? They-, they would not be humans, but they would be persons. Oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit is a person, but not a human. So there can be non-human persons, but every human is a person. Does that make sense? But this means that animals are excluded from this definition of person. Animals are excluded because they don't have an underlying nature of rationality, of self-awareness, of consciousness, of moral accountability, of moral accountability, right? We don't hold, we don't charge a dog in a court of law. The pit bull never gets drugged before a judge for attacking the kid in the park. But you will if you attack a kid in the park because you knew better. Why? Because you had a rational moral nature, okay? So animals are excluded from this definition of person. So attempting to dignify animals by granting them personhood, dogs, cats, orangutans, doesn't elevate animals to the level of humans. It doesn't bring animals up to our level. It reduces us all as humans to the level of animals. Because human beings, human beings are exceptional in the very ways that we're not like animals. That's why we're exceptional. Because I'm not like that dog, okay? I don't I don't piss on a freaking sign because I know better. The dog doesn't know better. I'm exceptional in every way the dog is not. I'm an image bearer of God. And God has a rational moral nature, right? He has self-awareness and consciousness. I'm created in his image, and human beings are the only form of species that have that ability, unless there's other image bearers who are not humans on some other planet. (laughs) Not worth getting into that conversation. Do you see what I mean? So granting animals personhood doesn't dignify animals to the level of humans. It reduces humans to the level of animals. And C.S. Lewis was concerned about this. In The Abolition of Man, we quoted this like, 10 months ago or something on the show, nine months ago on the show, but it bears repeating. C.S. Lewis had this concern circa 1944, okay? In the abolition of man, one of the most seminal prophetic pieces of writing in the last hundred years. He was specifically speaking about the danger of the animal rights movement. These very same kooks we're dealing with now, right? Um, Miguel Santiago in Los Angeles and Judy Mancuso C.S. Lewis was concerned about these people in the 40s. And he said if the animal rights movement established through culture or law that human beings have no intrinsic dignity greater than that of any animal, the world would not be a better place for either humankind or animals. Instead, it would be a utilitarian nightmare in which the strong would destroy the weak, in which power crazed leaders would destroy everyone who loved peace. Does that sound prophetic? in which the wealth of the world would be concentrated into the hands of a murderous few. Sound like World Economic Forum? Huh? Sound like the abortion industrial complex? Sound like George Soros? Sound like the Hewlett-Packard family? Sound like all the people who fund all of this degeneracy? In which mercy would be unknown, and the only virtue would be the ability to survive. In which the only right would be the right to die. Because, see, your only virtue in a Darwinian world is the ability to survive. Isn't that the doctrine of Darwin? The survival of the fittest, right? That that there is no dignity attached to the individual, right? We are no different than animals because the dog is sentient and we're sentient and we're just different species, but we're all life. It's all life. The dog's alive, I'm alive. We're just different species. It's all life. We're all sentient. So... So we're not any more valuable than animals, right? So so there there are no virtues because there is no God. There's no creator who endowed humans as intrinsically valuable over and against other creatures. There's no objective moral standard to which we're all beholden. We're just atoms banging around in the universe. In which case there are no virtues because virtue assumes an objective moral universe, right? These are virtues, these are vices. This is good, this is bad. This is ugly, this is beautiful this is evil, this is good. No, 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 there is none of that because there is no God. Therefore, the only virtue is who makes it to the end, who can survive the longest, the survival of the fittest. So C.S. Lewis was predicting this in the 40s that if you reduced humans to the level of animals and you said, we're all just life, we're all just life, so let's see who can survive the longest, you will end up in a utilitarian nightmare. Right, utilitarianism. You're only valuable in what you can provide and how you can function and benefit the world or or, or the species that is currently in power. Oh, 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 you're, oh, oh, you, oh, you're, uh, oh, you have Down syndromes. Oh, sucks for you. You're not a person, right? If you're Margaret Sanger, you want to weed out the blacks, the mentally and physically unfit, right? Because they're they're not as utilitarian. uh, They they don't provide for us as well, so we'll just get rid of them. Where the strong would destroy the weak. That's justice, that's a virtue. You can't survive, sucks for you. The only virtue is the ability to survive and the only right would be the right to die. Incredibly prophetic. When you bring humans to the level of animals, don't be surprised if human beings begin to be treated like animals. If we worship animals and their rights, like all the California Democrats are doing, right? This is borderline worship. This is GK GK Chesterton-like worship, right? if we worship animals and their rights while simultaneously worshiping the right to kill babies, which we've been doing for over 50 years in this country, right, remember abortion was legal in many states before it was legal at the federal level, then we will one day wake up and find that there are no more human rights left. And Darwin's vision will reach its natural animal farm hysterical conclusion. Such a vision is not progressive, okay? Such a vision is incredibly regressive. Be careful becoming a progressive Democrat because one day you just may wake up and find that you're worshiping animals and killing infants, but you're not a progressive. You're a regressive. And you look no different now than kooky, pagan Aztecs who loved their animals more than their own species, who murdered babies toddlers and adults, to the sex gods, the war gods, the crop gods, the weather gods. You look indistinguishable from these kooky, humanistic, animalistic, pagan societies. But don't worry, you dress it up in euphemisms, you dress it up in false compassion, because the person you serve also masquerades as an angel of light. So it should not surprise us when his disciples masquerade their evil agenda under the same type of language. So this is what is going on in California right now. This is what is going on in the country. And yet all we're hearing about is is how evil Republicans are because they don't think we should be involved uh, in international wars when we can't even secure our own border. You see, th- these are the things that really matter. Yes, the border matters. Yes, na- nationalism matters. Having a national identity, having actual values and virtues that you share together as a country because those values and virtues get passed on down to the next generation and those ideas determine what the future of your republic will look like. Yes, all of this matters, right? Of course it does. Um, But if if we fail to get these first foundational fundamental premises right, like what does it mean to be human? Why are we more valuable than freaking dogs? Why should I have rights that dogs and cats don't? Why should we not grant dogs the rights to personhood? Where do these rights come from? If we can't get those most fundamental human questions right, we are not going to secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves or our posterity. Every other right that flows from the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, property, religious, all all these other rights that flow from the fact that you have a right to not be murdered, Okay, these rights that we've been taking for granted are going to continue to deteriorate before our very eyes unless we can go back to those fundamental first rights and get them right and self-correct and turn the ship around. Right. It was Chesterton, I believe, who said that that the progressive, when he comes to the edge of a cliff, (laughs) does not continue to believe in progress and run right off the cliff. The lover of life jumps backwards, (laughs) turns the ship around, goes back the other way, right? C.S. Lewis talked about this as well. The true progressive is the one who realizing where he's heading turns around and runs back in the opposite direction. That's real progress. The progressive Democrats who worship cats and dogs and celebrate infanticide are not progressive, they're regressive. And until we as the people begin to contend in the public square, ideally to get godly men and women elected, to what? To advocate upstream for the good ideas that founded this republic, the right to life, what, what it means to be human, where these rights come from. Until those philosophies, ideologies, and ideas begin to be planted at upstream and therefore yield good fruit downstream for our posterity. Then we, then we are not going to secure human rights for, for, for everyone. And, and all of our other rights that we take for granted will continue to be assaulted by people who worship freaking dogs and and lynch infants halfway out of the birth canal and call it reproductive justice. Unless those people are supplanted and removed and godly men and women are put into place, then this American experiment is over. And when, when you reach a position where your culture is literally worshiping animals and sacrificing their own infants, you might want to wake up and say, uh, maybe this republic is not going to survive for that much longer. You hear me? You understand? Maybe we're almost done with this American experiment unless we can, unless we can commit to true progress by being lovers of life, jumping back from the leftist precipice that we find ourselves in, sprinting back the other direction, and returning to asking those most fundamental questions, which our founders had a lot of clarity on and a lot of good answers on. And yet most of the American public and our pulpits cannot even answer those most fundamental questions. Well, thanks for tuning in to the show today, guys. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. We really appreciate it. Um, And if you wanna support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. And become a patron of the show. Check out the perks and tiers we have for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if you want to book me for an event soon as my schedule is filling up this year, go to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.